Hey folks, Shelly with Humble Seed Yoga. Today, I want to share with you a very special guest. This is my friend, Laura. She is a fellow uh, sufferer of endometriosis. And since we're in March, which is in Endometriosis Awareness Month, we want to just take the opportunity, share some stories and help educate you on what you might need to know about this disease. So Laura, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for the courage of just wanting to share your story and talk with me and share it with others. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this, especially uh, how cool is it that it's Endometriosis Awareness Month? Exactly. What, what great time to do it, right? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times folks aren't even sure what endometriosis is. It's kind of got a funny name to it. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of like, what is that? And so, you know, just to start off, I would say um, for our viewers, uh, endometriosis is a disease where tissue similar to the endometrial, endometrial lining uh, that's normally found in the uterus is found outside, and it doesn't behave like that normal tissue. Um, it can uh, create its own estrogen supply. It can create its own nerve endings, which makes it really painful, and it can get really nasty and infiltrate other tissues. And so when we speak of endometriosis, it really is more than just a bad period. It can be rather painful and it can be rather harmful to other organs that it attaches to. So now that we've got that bit of business underway, let's start by, um, if you could, you know, when you started to notice symptoms and it kind of gave you a clue of, hey, something, something might be going on here. What were those symptoms? Because with endometriosis, there's a lot of them. And depending on what type of endometriosis you get diagnosed with, you can have a range of symptoms. What were you experiencing? You know, for a long time, I just thought I had really bad periods. So I couldn't tell you the moment I knew, like, well, there, there is a moment, I'll talk about that in a second, but I just had really bad, terrible cramps and really bad periods for a long time. And I just thought that was normal. Like I, I knew my mom had bad periods and my grandma had them. And I just thought that was how it was. Mm -hmm. So I think they probably both had it because they both had problems. And I think that I just thought, oh, well, I do too. Um, but there was one moment, and I shared this with you earlier. Yeah. I was in Trader Joe's parking lot, and I suddenly, I was having bad cramps, and I was like, I just have to get to the store, get a few things. But I came out of the parking lot, I came out to the parking lot, and I just, like, I had a pain that, like, dropped me to my knees. And I thought, this isn't right. Something isn't right. I hurt so, so bad. I barely got into the car. And then I drove home with like my, my leg up on the car seat, you know, so I could just curl up as much as I can and then got home and got in bed. But I knew it just, it, I knew that wasn't right. So, so I would think that was a moment I knew something was just terribly wrong. Something was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a lot of time, you know, like from the, from the very start of your first period until that happened? Did you, did you find that it was gradually getting worse or was it just one of those things that it was just always bad? Or did you notice there was like a progression of, you know, severe cramps and just not feeling good, things like that? Yeah, I mean, they were always bad when I was mm -hmm. younger, but it just got worse over time. I, I even remember being 
you know, a teenager and then being in bed on a Saturday, like I can remember one particular instance, I was in bed on a Saturday and there most of the weekend because it just hurt so bad. And just my mom saying here, just take ibuprofen. It's just kind of how it is, you know, just like downing ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah, that, it's true. I mean, even, you know, even for me, you know, it's not uncommon to pop 800 milligram of ibuprofen and it doesn't, it doesn't help. <laughs> That's the worst part. So, so the, the, the cramping is just unbelievable. Um, okay. You know, did you ever have any of the GI symptoms at all? Because, you know, there's always the awesome constipation and then the swing with diarrhea, which, you know, gotta love that. <laughs> You know, I feel like that stuff came later on, later on, um, after the diagnosis. And I didn't really know, I don't think I really put two and two together until I started doing my own research and then realizing, oh, okay, well, this could all be related. And mm-hmm. yeah, so there, there are, and there's still digestive issues that and and getting to where I am now, we'll get to that eventually. But uh, yeah, there are still issues. And it's just, I think it's just always going to be how it is. I I know there, and I just kind of thought, okay, well, also there are digestive issues in my family. Maybe that's how it is. (laughs) (laughs) This is your destiny. (laughs) Perfect storm of things. But yeah, knowing that that's just how the yeah. disease is. Yep, that's kind of it. And some of the most common symptoms are, of course, you know, the really uh, not your mama's cramps, you know, um, but the really, really debilitating cramps that kind of li- literally level you. You can't get out of bed. And I know that a lot of people just think, really? You can't mm-hmm. get out of bed, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the constipation and then diarrhea. There can be the swing of that. Migraines, that's always a real fun one. Um, difficulty with going to the bathroom, either one or two. Um, and there's even some, just depending on some of the other type of endometriosis, sometimes um, blood in the urine, sometimes coughing up blood, especially if there's any within the diaphragm, there's just so many different symptoms. It can be really tricky. And like you said, so many of them just overlap with GI issues. And there's a lot of studies that support a lot of folks that have endometriosis uh, really first get a diagnosis of IBS because it looks like IBS. So it makes it challenging. This, this disease is a really tricky bugger to say the least. Mm-hmm. If you would have to say what your number one symptom has been the most challenging one, the one that's really kind of leveled you for the most part or giving you the most challenge in, in just living life, which symptom is the, the, uh, the Achilles heel for you? Well, the one that made me take action, I would say was the, the debilitating cramps, the having cramps, um, like just the constant pain yeah. all the time. I mean, it, it didn't stop to the point. There was a point whenever I was having period pains more than I wasn't. It was, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I knew that wasn't normal. I knew mm-hmm. having a, having these cramps and having, having bleeding for four weeks out of five or three weeks out of four was just not normal. So the cramps though were probably the worst. And then with the cramps came bloating 
and oh, yeah. you know, you have that endo belly where you look pregnant and I'm like, well, now I know what it would look like. <laughs> yeah. But without the experience, that's yeah, the, experience. Yeah. yeah. And having to figure out which pants to wear that day that we're going to work and which, <sighs> or which dress to wear that would be comfortable. Yeah. You know, it was just, I got to be awful. Yeah. And, and that's like another indicator from all of the, the research that'll, that'll show it is that, you know, yeah, you might have some cramps leading up and then the week of, um, but endometriosis is a progressive disease. So it just gets to where it gets worse. And then that three days before turns yeah. into seven days, turns into 10 days. And then the time after it gets to where maybe if you've got one good week, Yes. Doing great. And that's, that's a great, that's a great red flag that if the pain that you're experiencing, when you start to have fewer and fewer good days, there's a problem. There is a problem. Yes. And, and that's where I was. I just knew, okay, my quality of life for where I am in my life, what I, what I want to do, the things that I'm doing, this is not, this is not what I want to be doing. I've got to do something. Yeah. So I can't have this quality of life where I'm just in pain and thriving on barely, barely surviving. That's probably better on ibuprofen uh, and heating a heating pad. Yep. That's not where I wanted to be in my yeah. 20s, you know? <laughs> yeah. Especially 20s and 30s. I mean, even just, you know, 40s, whenever it happens, it's just that, that weird sense of here I am, I can barely even stand up straight and walk. And yeah. yet life is happening out there. And I'm, I'm in my chair with the heating pad yeah. again. Yeah. Again. That's mm -hmm. devastating. And then just, you know, the mental aspect that comes with that is I just don't feel good. And, you know, trying to push through doesn't always work it can make it worse yeah you can't always push through it sometimes you can't stand up straight yeah yeah it has such an impact on posture I mean I kind of note it with notice it within myself when you know in a big flare-up I mean I look like an old lady I'm all hunched over and I literally just can't hold my posture up so yeah it makes a huge difference mm -hmm. so when um when your symptoms really got so bad and for you, you know, as you mentioned within your story, it was the pain. It was the pain that prompted you to just say, okay, I can't live like this. I'm not living life. It's impacting my quality of life. That's what prompted you. How did you go about getting a diagnosis? So I, I think, and I'm trying to remember because it's been a few years that I've been on this journey, but, um, I may have had in a, I, I believe I already had a appointment with my um, gynecologist set up for my annual appointment. And she was like, you know, did the exam. And she said, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? And I said, yeah, actually. <laughs> and so I told her I'd been in a lot of pain and I rattled off the symptoms and she goes, oh, honey, you are textbook for endometriosis. I said, what? <laughs> yeah. And she said, endometriosis. And so she rattled off the symptoms to me and printed off a piece of paper for me. She's like, I'll be right back. Goes and prints something off, hands it to me. And I read it and I just burst into tears. Oh, and she's man. like, this is you. This is exactly what you are, what you have. Has, she said, has nobody ever mentioned this to you? And I said, no. <laughs> 
And uh, frankly, I was kind of surprised too at that point. And I, I loved her and she was getting ready to retire, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I, I just was, I was surprised that I had never learned about it or I had never, I, I guess as much pain as I'd been in and as heavy as my periods had been, no one had ever brought anything up at, at that point. Like, hey, have you ever been asked about this or that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So she said, well, I want you to go see this doctor who does the surgeries and blah, blah, blah. You're going to have to get a confirmation of diagnosis and they'll, they'll do laparoscopic surgery, exploratory surgery. So then I made an appointment with that doctor to go do the surgery. And then that's where they did the uh, laparoscopy. And they're like, yeah, you've got, you've got it. They cleaned it all out and everything. So that was the, that was the first part of it. And that's, I mean, I can just, I just have so much come up for myself in just listening to that. So what was it like to get a confirmed diagnosis that this is the reason why you are in pain and not fully living life? You know, I, it was good to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think really, really good to have a reason. I like to know why I like to <laughs> I like answers. Yeah. <laughs> I want to fix it. it makes it easier, doesn't it? To kind of know what yeah. you're dealing with. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I mean, I think I burst into tears at that time because I was just so full of questions, frustrations, pain, everything. Like why have I gone half of my life in pain and there's a clear diagnosis that nobody has ever thought to bring up. Like I've mentioned before, I've got really, really bad periods. I know I'd mentioned it before and it had never once been brought up ever. So I think it was also partially just thinking like, like just a frustration too, you know? Yeah. That is that that right there, I think, is one of the most frustrating things of especially, you know, we, we and, it, and it's a hard not to crack. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's one of those things where we have this interesting dynamic in relationship with our medical professionals. But at the end of the day, they're just people and yeah. they've you know gone so far as to get a certain education. Um, however, they're flawed just like we are, but it is so frustrating. And I, this is one of the things, like I read a lot of the the research and all of that with a lot of misdiagnosis. It's just not one of those things that even for gynecologists that comes to their mind, it's like, this should be the first thing that pops up for folks of, you might have endometriosis. Let's start tracking your symptoms. Let's just see if there's a correlation to the monthly cycle. And if there is, you know, unfortunately, yeah, the only way to really get a true diagnosis is through the laparoscopic surgery. But, you know, every, everybody's saying that it takes anywhere from seven to 10 years to get a diagnosis. And that just boggles my mind. I don't understand why, especially I mean, if it was already your GYN. Considering, <laughs> considering that one in 10 women have this. Yep. That should, I, that's where I'm baffled, considering that many people have that. Mm-hmm. I would think now this would be one of those things that's just a poster on the wall. And maybe it is in some places. Do you have any symptoms? 
Hey, that's a good idea, Laura. You, know, you should make it. You should make it. I think it is. And yeah, that's just I'll the interesting. I'll doctor when I go. That's right. Let me educate you. Let's do one part here. <laughs> you might have endometriosis if. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Yeah, that's 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 kind of, it's, it's shocking to me. And, you know, I even, um, you know, they've had the endometriosis summit summit this this past week uh and one of the things that i heard one of the doctors say and i can't cite them correctly because i don't remember who it was but you know endometriosis it's likely the one disease that you have that nobody's ever really heard of but it's the most common disease for women that, that most people have never heard of so it's always kind of like wow this is crazy but yet so true so you got your diagnosis with your laparoscopic surgery and, you know, the doctor tells you, yep, that's what it is. It is in fact confirmed. Mm -hmm. So then what, what, what happened from there? Like what were the treatment options? Were there any type of lifestyle changes that you made? What, what advice did you, did you either take or get, or did you just do yourself? How did you try to manage it? So after that surgery, I remember, you know, that that's pretty fuzzy that immediately after that surgery, because I personally did not have a great experience with that doctor who did that surgery. I, I couldn't tell you who it was, to be totally honest. Like, <laughs> I don't know who it was, but um, I, they told me, okay, there's a chance it could come back. And I knew that much. Okay. So that was what I knew after the surgery. I, I was in tons of pain for a, for a long time, like just from the surgery, I didn't feel back to normal for a good seven months. Wow. I, I don't know if that was normal from a laparoscopy, but I felt like I didn't fully heal from that surgery for a long time. It was you know, they could have just been doing so much scraping and cutting all of that in there that it took a long time. But I felt like I was swollen from that surgery in my abdominal area for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least six months. So it, it was a, it was a long recovery for me. And I didn't want to go down that road, road again. Yeah. I thought, and they said, we may have to do this again in a few years. I was like, I don't think so. Yeah, no thanks. I don't <laughs> want that. Um, so they said the next step would be um, trying Depolupron if it comes back. And at that point, I had found another. I had a friend who had gone through similar things. She was awesome, kind of like my go-to. I feel like you need somebody a friend, somebody going through this sort of stuff to talk to. And so she was my person and um, she recommended her doctor. She's like, he's awesome. Yes, it's a he, trust me, he's awesome. So I went to him and he, he was great and said, yeah, let's try some Depolupron if, because at that point it had grown back. It was back within like nine months mm. already. Yeah, it was crazy. I was still in pain and it was back. So they, they told me to try Depolupron. Um, so that was awful. Was it really? Have you tried it? No, 
I'm, I'm scared to death of hormones, to be quite honest with you. I have a really strong uh, family history of breast cancer. Uh, and my mom uh, had uterine cancer. And then for a time she did Depo-Provera. Okay. And um, it's just like every doctor that I talk to, I have, they've really got to explain to me, like with my family history and my risk, because it's just like, oof, I don't, I don't like the idea of messing with my hormones. It scares yeah. me. It really scares yeah. me. So how was that experience? It was awful. Really? It was so, it was, oh my gosh. Uh, so I only did three months on that because it was, I, I've never, fortunately I've never suffered from depression or had issues where I've felt really, really down in the, really down in the dumps, but that took me from here to here. Like I was just plummeted down. It was awful. And I, you put you in menopause, that medicine does. So it was terrible. I had hot flashes. I had mood swings. I was the only, it's been the only time that I have probably gained a few pounds in throughout this process of anything. And every time I had to come back in for this, like every week I had to come back in for a new shot or something, they would make me hop on the scale. And it put me in such a bad mood. I remember one time I was like, I'm not hopping on that scale. I am not getting on that scale. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not getting on there. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm a blunt person, but I'm not mean. <laughs> you just made your point. You just made your point known. Probably not very nice to that nurse. And I felt really bad. I, I feel bad about it in hindsight, but um, yeah, I was not kind at the moment. So I'm, I'm not getting on that scale. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and that's the interesting thing. I think for some folks, you know, from, from everything that I've read, and of course we got to be clear, clarify that we can't diagnose, treat or cure. We're just talking about our own experience here. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I mean, I know that for some it's really been helpful, but you know, from what I understand it, that's, that's really well it's doing. It's just suppressing. It's not actually treating the endometriosis. It's not getting it at the root cause. It's just trying to kind of put you in a state where you don't feel it as much. So you put your body in menopause. Mm -hmm. So so you don't have those type of hormones and feelings. You have right. hormones going on, but, you're not <laughs> but you but you just traded them. For in your instance, you just traded them. <laughs> I thought you said you were afraid of them, but yeah, you're. I am afraid of them. I'm I'm very honest, but yes, <laughs> but you yeah, just. In my case, I was. <laughs> well, but you don't know what you don't know, and that's right. sometimes kind of the the frustrating thing. And you know, you ask one doctor, they will say that this is absolutely the right thing to do. And then you ask another and then it's not. And so, you know, it's, it's, it highlights, I think, part of the challenge of folks that have endometriosis. What, what is the right treatment for them? Because the individual person has to be taken into consideration. It's, it's some phase in, in the process and it's just kind of hard, but at least you found out that wasn't for you. I agree. And one thing I would say, yes, everybody, everybody is different. Mm -hmm. Everyone is different. Uh, that was not right for me. I did three months of that. And I told them I am not doing that again. I am not doing another laparoscopic surgery just to clear it out only to have to go back again. One thing I will tell you, you, whoever's watching, you have to be your own advocate. You've got to do your own research. 
what's right for me, what's right for Shelly is not going to be right for you, for the next person. I agree. So I think that that is really, really important. And I would say after that depot experience, well, during that depot experience, that's when I really started to do even more research. Like I'd already kind of been going down the rabbit hole of researching endo, trying to figure out what the heck it was. Mm -hmm. But that's when I started researching even more and figuring out what I could do because yes, like you had mentioned before, they're medical professionals, but it's your body and you've got, you're going to be the one that has to live with this. So you've got to figure out what works for you. And so um, I had already been, I had a um, functional medicine doctor that I had been working with for migraines for years. And he had recommended that I cut out wheat and gluten for migraines. Yeah. So I had stopped eating that already, but just dietary changes, trying, that's not going to work for everyone, but I do have to think what you put into your body is really going to be important because if you think about that, all of that endo is feeding off of what's in your body. And if you're putting in healthy things, for me, that makes a huge difference. I can't go and eat junk food. I can't, now I can't even eat processed sugar. I can't eat, uh, I really, I can't drink very much. I can't eat junk food really. Um, if I do, it's in like itty bitty moderation, but mm -hmm. um, for me, that has made a huge difference in how, how I live my lifestyle being active is definitely necessary. So I know it's, everybody is different, but I think that it does make a huge difference, exercise and diet. It's not going to cure endo. We know that, but does it help you? I think it does help you. I help have to mental state, help everything. I agree with you. And I, and I think, you know, those are the two things, let's face it, that most of the folks in our culture, especially, you know, here, here in America specifically, when you start to say diet and exercise, they're like, oh, but that is a huge aspect, you know, not just the food you eat, but, you know, the information that you're taking in, mm -hmm. what are you using within your home as far as chemicals and things yeah, like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And everything that you mentioned, as far as those trigger foods that don't serve you well, they're all inflammatory type of yes. food. So it, it just makes sense. And I just, um, you know, it's kind of like, if you think about, you can go out, what's your favorite car? What's like your dream car, Laura? Car? Yeah. Car, automobile. Oh, a pink mini Cooper. <laughs> okay. A pink mini Cooper. You can't go out and buy a pink mini Cooper and then go put really bad gas in it and not change the oil. Yeah. But yet that's sometimes what we think when we, we talk about our bodies of, well, I'm just going to eat all of my meals through the drive-through. I'm addicted to sugar, you know, pile down the martinis or whatever it is. It's just, you might be able to do it for a while. And I think that for most of us, that was our twenties. <laughs> and then at some point we start to realize this doesn't feel good and the body kind of catches up. So I agree with you about like the diet and exercise. And that's one of the things that I understand um, fully well is that, you know, when you're in pain, the last thing you want to do is move. The last thing you want to do is exercise, but there's lots of different exercise. And of course I'm biased because of yoga, but some specific movement just to keep things moving really does make a big difference because, you know, we know endometriosis can just lock everything up, create yeah. those adhesions. And if you don't stay mobile, 
we lose it. So totally. I think your your point about that, as far as including those as your treatment options and your self-care options, that has to be underscored and circled. I think that there's just not enough focus on diet and exercise and there really needs to be, it's gotta be, it's gotta be the holistic approach. There's no one silver bullet. So no, no. and since we know that there's not a cure, you've got to figure out what's going to be right for your body. Um, you know, I've been taking certain vitamins and supplements for years, drinking a green juice, whatever your body can tolerate and that stuff, you've got to figure out what your body can tolerate. Um, you know, and even if it's walking, getting some fresh air, whatever you can do where you are, being healthy within your own body, I think is what's important. It doesn't mean you have to go and get a six pack abs, not, not <laughs> a six pack of beer. Um, yeah, good clarification. <laughs> but I'm with you. I think that that is just, it's important to start somewhere. Um, and I know for me mentally that has helped a whole lot. I've been going to a certain, I've been doing a certain type of exercise for years. I've been going to the bar method for years and uh, that has gotten me through and it's helped me stay strong. And that helped me before. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but that helped me prep for my hysterectomy. Yes. Um, and that helped me have strong, a strong core so that I could recover faster. Yeah. And I did, I did because I had the, the strength. I wasn't, <laughs> I, I had the strength to recover. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's so important. And I love that you brought that up as we often think of, especially if we're working towards an excision surgery or, uh, you know, whatever it might be um, that, you know, that's the start, but there's so much that we can really do and advocate for ourselves right now in just our relationship with our food, what we're doing, just how we're spending our time stress management. Oh my gosh. And just, you know, all of the things you even mentioned, like going outside for a walk, just whatever it takes to just be able to, to be more in relationship with yourself and in a healthy way, I think it definitely makes you stronger. So that if you do have to go towards the path of excision or some other surgery, to your point, you've built strength up as best you can. So I think that that's a valid point. And thank you for saying that. Well, it's important. And I think it's underrated. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> you know, as you went through this whole process and, you know, you, you've kind of had your share of, of, of doctors, how, how many doctors have you seen um, throughout your journey to get a diagnosis and to uh, seek out treatments to support you along the way? Um, I, I saw my initial female doctor that I mentioned, then went for one surgery. Six? five, six-ish, I guess. I mean, I haven't, with That's my journey, I haven't seen tons. Mm -hmm. I know that there are some people who have seen multiple, multiple doctors. Yeah. My journey through this um, has been a lot different than some people because of the, the route that I went, mm -hmm. but it was because of the decision that I made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't see tons of doctors, I guess. Good. So, you know, when you, when you think about this, what would be, you know, if, if you think about everything, what you've done, what you've learned, what would be the number one lesson or teachable moment that you would give to your doctors from your own experience? What's the one thing that you want them to know when they would see the next Laura with the same challenges? 
Um, I think, gosh, that's a hard one. I, <laughs> I've been thinking about this question. I think that just to be, be gentle with the patients because I don't think that they, sometimes I don't think they really understand what, what we go through mm-hmm. and what we've been through. I, I know I, I was fortunate to have my, my surgeon who did my hysterectomy was awesome and very caring. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate to have a doctor like that. And sometimes I don't think you get doctors with the best bedside manner. And I know you're not always paying for that. You're not paying for someone to hold your hand and be there for you, (laughs) but it would be nice if they kind of showed a little bit more compassion. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I know that that's their job and we're just another case, but at the same time, could just be a little more gentle. <laughs> yeah, that, it's a valid point because I mean it is, and it's it's the it's the chronic fatigue, not just the, the the literal chronic fatigue, but the chronic fatigue of just constantly not feeling good. And how many how much painkillers really can you take that mm-hmm. don't really work, or at least that's kind of my experience. I mean. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, just sensitivity. In yoga, we would call that having sensitivity. So, yeah, and I mean, to listen too, like, just yeah. you, we've all, a lot of us have done our homework and mm-hmm. listen to what we have to say. Um, I think I've had a lot of, I've, I've had experience with good doctors who did listen, but I know people who haven't. Yeah. And I think yeah. that could, that would be nice if they listened. I think that's, I mean, that right there, that's such a lesson for everybody, right? Just be more sensitive that not meaning just lay over and let people walk over you, but just try to empathize, just try to empathize, especially, you know, when it is such a struggle to be able to, to crack the nut and figure out what's wrong. And then once you do figure out what's wrong, what can you do about it? That's the most frustrating thing about this, I think, is what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you say if people have questioned, oh, come on, Laura, is, it, is the pain really that bad? How can your period really be that bad? <laughs> How do you respond to that? When I'm on depot or when I'm not now? <laughs> <laughs> you, the response might be different, right? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I have compared it before to like someone taking shards of glass to your insides or a knife or barbed wire being wrapped around your insides. Um, I think I've tried to give them a visual. Um, I think that that can help. I think I've also maybe shown them the meme of that, the dinosaur, is it the Tyrannosaurus Rex on the inside or something like <laughs> that might be the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that that's usually what I've tried to compare it to. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's kind of one of those things that, um, and I, I, I really, I get kind of frustrated about when something is made like into a, a woman's issue or a man's issue, but it is kind of one of those things, you know, women are the only ones that have monthly periods, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of almost just like what I have found sometimes is, you know, for folks that don't have this, it's kind of like, it's not that bad. Are you just being dramatic? 
Um, and then having the conversation of, no, you, you really just don't understand. And I'm certainly not one to, to want to be a wimp. Okay. Not that anybody's a wimp, but this is kind of the, the process that I've had to go through my mind of, oh my gosh, nobody else has this pain that I have. Am I, am I just making it up? And then, you know, it comes and you're just like, okay, I'm certainly not making it up. This is very physical and this is very real, but it's almost like a questioning that goes on of well, why can you be okay? But this is hell on earth for me. This is so excruciating and I'm going to the ER sometimes. And so I think sometimes it's that disconnect of not always having the understanding that, yeah, it, it really is one of the most painful diseases to have. I saw some article that even said that, and it's just like, heck yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, and I think unless you've had it, you just don't understand. You don't know. Well, and I even have to admit to like within my journey. So I had an official diagnosis in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with my own relationship with this disease, it's changed because, you know, at first it wasn't that bad. Um, and then I had another really excruciating event in 2012 that kind of got my attention. And then of course it's just progressed. And I would say from 2008, when it started for me, I was just like, okay, it's not that bad. I can push through it. And I did, I did push through. Um, but as it progresses, pushing through is not an option. Standing up straight for that day is the goal. So it's kind of one of those things of even for folks that do have endometriosis. And I even see in some of the support groups of, you know, mine's not that bad. Great. I hope it stays that way. Right. You know, I hope it doesn't get progressively worse, but that's, it's kind of what it does. So it does it just kind of infiltrates. <laughs> it does. It's nasty. It's nasty. So, you know, I know within your experience, um, you explored and then decided for the option of hysterectomy. I, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you mind sharing a little bit about, about that? Yes. And to preface that, um, it, having a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis it will not fix it, (laughs) like totally make the problem go away, but it is an option. And with my endo specialist and surgeon, I decided that that was the right choice for me. Um, I had, and, and I know it is not the right choice for everyone. So I'm, when I talk about this, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound not sincere or unsensitive to people who maybe like would like to consider this option but still want to have children right i know that this can this is a very hard topic because there are so many people who have endo and want to have kids um, my husband and i we don't have kids we didn't want to have kids and so this was a pretty easy answer for me we were okay with this and knew that this could help and we knew that this was going to be this something that could potentially make me feel a lot better, have a better quality of life. And um, so we decided, I decided that this was the route I wanted to go. And he, the doctor did say, now, before we put this on the books, I want you to be 100% sure that you don't want to have children. Talk it over with your husband, you guys decide. And so we did, we had another conversation, but we were we knew that that was, we were okay with it. And 
because we also knew if we were going down that route, it was going to be emotionally painful, physically painful, and probably very hard to potentially get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I just knew in my heart that this was the right way for me to go. Um, so I had a hysterectomy um, laparoscopically and it, I, I'm very happy that I, that I had that surgery. It was a, about a four week recovery and you do need every minute of that recovery. So even for me being in my early thirties and healthy and physically well, I still needed four full weeks of recovery. So if any moms out there are considering doing this, make sure you have plenty of help on board, have meal prep, have people help you do this because you are, and and, and I know you're probably rolling your eyes thinking like, I'm a mom, I have no time for this. But yes, you definitely need to have help because your body has to recover. Your back will overcompensate and that started to happen because you're trying to make up for what's happening here whenever you sit Mm -hmm. up. And Mm -hmm. just that first four four weeks, your body has to have that time to recover. I would say people forget that it's major surgery. I mean, oh, it is. It totally is. Pretty significant surgery. You're having things removed. Yeah. They've they've like pulled out an organ. You know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's um, you know, and I did a lot of research before what was going to happen, and I was I was nervous about it, but yet at the same time I wasn't. But I, I want to talk about my experience with it because I didn't feel like I found tons of information out there about women in their thirties going through a hysterectomy who then may be put into medical menopause. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a long sentence, but I didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. They said, well, your ovary may survive. Your ovaries may survive. They may not, we're not sure, but there was a lot of damage, a lot of endo on my ovaries. So they salvaged what they could and they only lasted, my ovaries only lasted like two years before they shut down because they just had so much endo on them. And then the hormones just stopped. Mm -hmm. So, um, now I have to have hormone replacement therapy. I have a patch. I change out twice a week. And, um, like I knew something was, was wrong and I didn't know what, I guess I didn't think for a while. Oh yeah. Maybe my hormones aren't working because I started getting hot flashes. Then I realized something was wrong, but I was extremely tired. I couldn't function. Like my energy was just down in the dumps. I was forgetting everything. I was doing things two and three times. And then I went to the doctor and they were like, oh yeah, you don't have any, any hormones left in your body. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, They're important. Completely. <laughs> yes. So I'm a lot better now that I'm on, on the hormones. Um, but you know, it, it has taken my body a few years to, I, I, I think it is important to note. Yes, I do feel better. I don't have that daily cramping pain. I don't have that mm. endo pain. Yeah. And I feel like you trade out one problem, one set of problems for another. I, I still have like the, what the IBS type issues. I still mm. have that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I have had to do some pelvic floor physical therapy, um, hormones, my, my hair has, ta- it's taken a while for my hair to recover from surgeries yeah. and medicine. It was like dry and brittle and my skin has been dry. Um, 
you know, I think that there's just, there's other stuff that you're just going to have to deal with. I, is it, do I regret it? No, yes. but no, I'm sorry. What? I was just, it was the right thing for you. I mean, it's, it was, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, but I daily pain. Yeah. And I think that that's so important is just, you know, you, you went into it with eyes wide open <laughs> to clarify what your goal were, was, you know, it's having a goal of just understanding what you wanted and how to achieve. It's really mm -hmm. important. And to your point, it's not going to be for everybody. Right. Um, you know, and for folks that still want to maintain their fertility, of course, that's not really going to be exactly. an option, but for those of us maybe that, you know, are not so worried about that, it definitely is part of the discussion to have with the medical provider. And I, I really appreciate your honesty that, you know, it didn't solve everything. That's, that's one of the things that you have to understand, but it got you closer to living your life and going out and being more active, which is what you were wanting in the very beginning. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, um, it, it's definitely one of those things it's not a cure and that's important to know like, oh, you don't have endo anymore. It, it's, and they told me this, my doctor told me there's still a possibility it could manifest itself somewhere in your body. Yeah. That's why I'm extremely cautious with what I put into my body. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you just have to be aware and you've got to stay in tune with your body with everything. But still, I think if you go this route, you've got to be sure this is, educate yourself before you do it. Yeah. And I think that's probably like the number one thing, the message that you had mentioned that you really wanted to get out to people is really dive in, educate yourself on this, get the information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's so important. Yeah, I agree. I think it is. Um, my experience is different. It was more probably succinct than other people's. Um, I realized that, but that was the path I wanted to go. I didn't want to have to be finding different things that were going to work forever and doing microscopic surgeries and all of that. And, and this was what worked for me. So this is where I am right now. I, I appreciate it. And I just want to just take a moment and just thank you so much for the courage and wanting to share your story, share uh, your experience with everybody. I think that this is exactly what Endometriosis Awareness Month is all about, just getting it out there, everybody's story, because we're all different and we all have different needs. And I know what you have experienced is definitely something that's in my train of thought for, for my application. So I appreciate learning from you and just sharing from your experience. So thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this platform and being able to talk to you about our experiences. It's how it's done. <laughs>